Howdy legends and welcome back to another episode of the Cam and Jord podcast. If you're a first time listener, thank you for joining us today. We hope you find some inspiration, motivation, entertainment and of course some practical knowledge to apply in your own lives after listening to our podcast. And if you enjoy the content today, head over to our Instagram page at Cam and Jord for more information about our podcast, any upcoming episodes and see Geordie and I's journey through our holistic life. Amongst the people we interview, the holistic areas we focus on on our podcast are physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, social health and business health. Cam and I believe a harmonious balance between these six pillars will create a successful and enjoyable life. During the podcast, we'll take a deep dive into focal points for you to take action on and begin to work on your balance. Our interviewees will give real-life experiences on physical fitness, nutrition and diet habits, the importance of sleep, a variety of meditation techniques, breaking down your goals and achieving them, positive self-talk, mindfulness, your values and purpose, your connection and faith, the importance of prayer, your love life, your friends and family, networking and the role it plays, work-life balance, enjoying your work and how to follow your passion and organisation from day to day. As you begin to implement these strategies, we would love to act as your support network. Please share your wins, losses and learnings on Instagram and tag us so we can encourage you on your holistic journey. And of course, if you're a veteran listener to the Cam and Jod podcast, we thank you for your continual support. We love hearing about your journey and application on achieving a more holistic life. We love growing the Cam and Jord community and we thank you for being a part of growing the awareness in holistic health. Now let's get into it and introduce today's guest. Today on the Cam and Jord podcast, we have health and cricket guru, Kevin Chevelle. Kevin is a cricket lover with a passion for sport running through his veins. He began his cricket days like any other young athlete before being lucky enough to snap up a contract in WA. Kev's journey begins with injury, a frustrating part of sport that no one seemed to have an answer for back in the 70s, 80s. Kev was typically fit and strong athlete, running up to 70 kilometers each week. But for reasons he couldn't comprehend, season after season, he found himself sidelined with injury until he found weight slash strength training. Kev's fitness journey not only led him to great personal success, but people started to turn their heads and wanted to be a part of this injury-free and high-performance lifestyle. He was lucky enough to work with an incredible array of athletes in both the NRL and Australian cricket. As time progressed, word spread and athletes everywhere wanted to be a part of Kev's philosophy. Kev's loves mentoring anyone who is willing to be on time, never look for excuses, go looking for the struggle and never give in. Kev saw anyone who held a bat or ball as family and to this day still lives by the same philosophy. Cam and I owe a lot to Kev for his mentoring across the years. He has changed so many lives for the better and has helped so many cricketers reach their full potential. Definitely grab yourself a cappuccino for this one. Enjoy episode 11 with Kevin Chevelle. Howdy crew, we're here at Kevin Chevelle's Inside Fitness with the Brown Dog. How are you, Brownie? Yeah, very well, mate. Very excited to be here in Penrith, our second home, and uh, a warm welcome and a massive thank you to Kev Chevelle for being with us today. Kev, how are you doing? Yeah, good, lads. How are you both? Very, very well, very well. I think uh, Cam and I, when we sat down and wanted to do the podcast, um, 
the Cam and Jord podcast, you were pretty high up on the priority list to sit down and have a chat with. So we've been looking forward to this episode for some time. Yeah, big ticket item, Kev. We're keen to sit down and discuss uh, everything from gym life to diet to your cricket career as well when you were growing up and some of the tactics and strategies that got you sort of from what we're doing now to sort of the elite level and then beyond that how you now you're helping youngsters do the same thing so yeah. keen to do a bit of a deep dive into everything today oh good long boys i hope i can uh i can give you some good stories and some good information good insights um you know i've always sort of uh had had the opinion that if you pick up a bat or a ball as far as i'm concerned your family mm and um that's pretty much the way i've been all my life love the game of cricket started off as an eight-year-old playing the game of cricket um played my first first grade game when i was 15 it was only one game and found a, a regular spot when i was 17. Mm. um with a bankstown club i was the third bowler to uh, uh former greats lenny pasco and uh, and jeff thompson so yeah. a lot of cricket behind me mm. um still in my blood uh, even though these days and the last 30 odd years um, since I've retired. Basically, my name's been really associated with uh, the strength and conditioning side of things, but uh, first and foremost, I am a cricketer. Mm, Kev, you probably wouldn't know, um, Cam and I's relationship is um, very much based on what you've done here with us, and Cam and I sort of met in the system uh, many years ago, as some of the listeners would know, but it was really our relationship started to blossom when we came here. So suppose we've got you to thank for our relationship and the fact that we're sitting here today filming the podcast. Uh, well, we've had plenty of mates come along, uh, mm. formed from the uh, from the training and that. We've had a few uh, boyfriend, girlfriends <laughs> and uh, one That's or two true. marriages. There could be three marriages <laughs> in the true. next 12 months. That's true. Do you want to, Kev, I know you spoke a little bit about uh, your cricket and um, how that's pretty much been the main part of your life. Um, and even though you moved into the strength and conditioning side of things, it's still mainly focused around cricket. Yep. Do you want to give us a background on sort of when you started playing and, um, you know, sort of moving through the ranks to your to your um, WA days? Yeah, of course. Um, it's, a, it's a good and interesting story and it's one that can provide lots of value. Um, I was a fast bowler, I was a left arm fast bowler and um, by the time we got into Green Shield and PGs and was playing you know, second grade and first grade, they're the only two grades I've ever played, mm. um, <clears throat> I would regularly uh, sustain an injury and in my particular case it was lower back, always lower back for me, year in, year out, mm. lower back and um, you know, I know I realise some other bowlers might get it on the shins, they might get it a, a rib injury that recurs, but for me it was always lower back. Um, I had a good run up, a good action. Um, my approach to fitness was um, I was a, uh, a regular long distance runner. I used to run 50 to 70 k's every week, summer or winter, so I had plenty of endurance. Uh, I had good fitness, you know, it was no trouble for me to bowl, you know, 15 to 20, 21, 22 overs in, on, on a hot sunny, summer's day. Um, but I knew um, predictably that year in, year out, I was always going to get an injury. And either hide it, right, so that the coaches and captain didn't know, uh, so I could get a game and wouldn't lose a spot, or I'd end up time on the sideline. You know, I would visit the doctor, the physio, the chiro, the oxyopaths, uh, the acupuncturist. <laughs> Over a number of years, I went to every different form of 
of uh, sports injury treatment modality that you can think of. And every single one of them gave me some relief. They gave me, you know, uh, back on the park relief, right? Mm. But a few games later or a week later or whatever, it would be back, mm. right? So I knew deep down that they didn't have the answer. They hadn't solved the riddle, right? So going to them wasn't going to be an answer because no matter who I went to, no matter what um, mode of medical assistance or treatment that I would get for this injury that kept on recurring, I knew I wasn't gonna, it was just gonna reoccur. Mm. So I thought, well, there's only one way it's gonna get solved and that's how I do it myself, right? But I didn't know how about anything about it. I didn't know how I was gonna do it. I just thought, well, there's no one else that can help me. I gotta help myself. Mm. Um, fortunately for me, um, at that particular time, uh, I was probably 22, 23, and um, I shifted clubs from uh, from Bankstown to Balmain, and um, I became really good friends with a, with their opening batsman, a guy called Greg Fitzgerald, and we, we formed a good friendship during the, that season. At the end of the at the end of that cricket season, that first season with Balmain, um, Greg said to me, "What are you doing in Winnipeg?" And I just said, "Well, Greg, I'm playing um, I'm playing baseball. I used to play." first grade baseball in the St George district. So hmm. uh, during summer, it was cricket. Winter, it was baseball, because I thought one complemented the other. Hmm. And he said to me, well, why don't you come and do some weights? I said, what's weights? <laughs> and I had no idea what it was, because to me, cricket, running, fitness, you know, and that was it. I didn't even relate to any need to do weights. Maybe, you know, the odd swim, push bike ride, but not lifting weights. And I didn't, at that stage, the myth was, or the understanding was, that if you lifted weights, it somehow would have a negative effect on your cricket skills. That is, it might mess up your bowling action. You might be bowling, you know, around your your, your, your pectoral muscles and your and your bicep muscles and all of all of the. Anyway, it was a myth that I, at that stage, you know, surrounded cricket. I know it's changed a lot, you know, in the last 15 years or so. But that was it. So that prevented anyone sort of going in and sort of giving weight training. But anyway. I was up for anything and I went along and, and, and unbeknownst to me, he absolutely flogged me, <laughs> right? And I knew he did, day in, day out. You know how I flog you guys? Yeah. Worse than that. I don't dish out anything that I haven't done myself, as, okay. you, as you all well know. But um, uh, in the light of all that, my weight went up. You know, I was 72 kilos. Um, within 18 months, my weight went from 72 to 96 kilos. Oh my gosh. I played cricket another 14 years after that and never got one single injury. So you figured it out? I knew in the back of my mind what the answer was. I knew I had to get a lot stronger. I knew running was going to only provide part of the answer to my overall fitness preparation to play the game of cricket and play it in a, with, in, with the, the high workload that, that confronts fast bowling. Mm. And that's, you know, so I, I sort of had understood one part of it, uh, but not the other major bits. As soon as I added those in and reduced the amount of long distance running and, and basically swapped that out for short distance sprint work, mm. that was the end of the injuries. I became far more flexible, far, far stronger muscle-wise and I put on all this weight. Well, that, that ended up um, adding a yard and a half, two yards yeah. in pace, so I was, oh, I, wow. it was very sharp at that, at that uh, with all that extra weight. You know, I'd lost nothing. I'd only made gains. So, um, you know, I thought, well, the myth surrounding weight training and playing cricket just doesn't exist. If you've done it the right way, 
And fortunately for me, I was shown the right way. I did things like squats and deadlifts, cleans and clean and presses. We didn't do bench press. We didn't do fly motions, right? We didn't do uh, arm curls and things like that. We just did body weight plus, you know, just normal functional mm. movement exercises mm. um, and worked the treat. So I knew in the back of my mind, I'd had the, I'd had the answer, but it wasn't that it wasn't something that I used to help anybody else at that stage. It was just something that I knew it was good for my cricket, and I just did that for the rest of my playing days. Um, I guess the um, uh, one of the great benefits from it was because I became a far better cricketer yeah. overall. There were there were two there were two benefits that I noticed. One, obviously, I was stronger. I had the fitness. I could bowl 20, 25 overs, and I was wanting more. Right, whereas other and a lot of these years I played in Perth, and Perth is hotter than you know Sydney. Mm. Um, you know we were in 38, 40, 42 degrees, and it was that temperature you know before lunch. Yeah. And um, you know I'll always be happy uh, to put my hand up because you know, whereas a lot of other bowlers, you know, when they get the heat and there's a flat track, mm. um, they're not they're looking to <laughs> let the ball bowling go to the spinners. Um, but I was always happy, so I knew there was that aspect of it. But the most, in, probably the most important part of it, and I didn't even see it coming, was how confident I became. Right. How assured I was of myself. How much my belief and my ability to 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 win, to be competitive, to never give in, never give up. Right. Um, that became uh, you know a, a major part of the way I played the game. And whenever hard work had to be done, or whenever a night watchman was required, whenever our side was in a sticky, sticky position, the captain turned to me and gave me the ball or the bat. You know, I went from being a number 11, number 10 regular tail-end batsman to a middle order. I batted four and five in first grade. Why? Because these things changed. I learnt that the believing yourself in yourself more allowed you to do things that you never thought you were able, capable of doing. Mm. I took catches and I, and I, and I made run-outs that I, I'd saw myself do it and I thought, I've never done this before in my life. I haven't done that much catching practice or feeling practice, but all of a sudden, I've got this ability. I end up winning the, the whacker averages, bowling averages one year, boom, I'm in the, um, the Sheffield Shield squad. Right? All because, and the only thing different was, I'd cut back the running and added in all this strength training and flexibility work, and it affected my confidence as well as protecting and insulating my body from, um, you know, the the uh, the workload of a fast bowler. So, you know, I knew the answers, um, and I just held them until 1991, um, when a um, uh, a friend and a former colleague from Bankstown, he was uh, at that stage opening the batting for um, uh, for New South Wales, but he'd ha had a run; he'd played a lot of games. He was probably at the back end of his career. Uh, he probably had um, a bit of a lean run and, and he, he contacted me, said, Kev, he said, I've been um, tapped on the shoulder. Uh, he said, I'm not ready to go. And I said, well, what, what's, what's, uh, what's the issue? And he said, well, look, I haven't been scoring all that many runs. Uh, there's young blokes nipping at my heels. Um, I, I've, got, I've got years left in, in me, but unless I score runs, the selectors are gonna find a way to sideline me, and he said, if I get sidelined at this age, there's no way back. So he said, I want, if you can, I've seen the changes in you from when we were Bankstown days to when you left and went to the Tigers and you went over and you played in Perth, you know, you rise and rise. Um, can you do for me what you did for you? I said, of course, but 
but, and it was a big but, I'll give you two weeks to prove that you got the heart, the ticker to, to stand it. If you pass the first two weeks, I won't let go, so you won't let go. If it gets too tough, you can't back out. He said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do anything to keep my spot. And uh, so I said, all right. Now, if I say we're working four or five times this week, that's what we're doing. If I say eat that, I mean eat that. If I say avoid that and avoid that, don't drink alcohol. If I say that, I say I expect you to follow exactly. Don't compromise in any way, just do it and then we'll work together and we'll see what comes out the other end. Well, to his great credit, he did. The fellow that I'm talking about is Steve Small, right? Um, a great player, one of, the, one of the hardest, you know, working, you know, most dedicated, most best fellow you'd ever want to have in your team or even captain of your team, right? Um, a real inspiration. And um, he survived that four and a half and five months of training. Um, a lot of the times he didn't think he was going to make it, but he found a way to take one more step, one more minute, one more rep, one more turn of the pedal, uh, found his way through it. Four months later, he goes out, starts the Sheffield Shield season, um, becomes New South Wales Sheffield Shield Player of the Year and Australian Sheffield Shield Player of the Year and almost found himself in the Australian team. Wow. Right From that point on, uh, the word spread. Um, next season, he brings in uh, his opening batting partner, Mark Taylor, who sat at the other end uh, you know, uh, during that summer and watched Steve Small transform from someone who was almost at the end of his playing days to the leading player in Sheffield Shield cricket around the country. So then Mark Taylor come along. Um, and that's when it all started. Um, at the same time, I had a bit of a following uh, NRL-wise. Um, back at that time, uh, Penrith experienced a... Uh, a very, very sad uh, occasion um, when uh, local hero uh, Greg Alexander, who was the captain of um, the Penrith NRL uh, side at the time, uh, lost his brother Ben, who also played first grade uh, rugby league for the Panthers, lost him in a car accident. And uh, that, uh, that really affected uh, not only uh, Greg himself, but everybody at um, the Panthers. Um, Greg stopped playing altogether and um, you know there was no answer um, out of the blue Greg approached me this was probably two months after uh, he lost his brother in that car accident and he came up to me and he said Kev he said uh, look uh, I've had all this happen to me um, he said I've lost everything I, 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 you know, I don't know where to start I don't know whether I can get back he said can you help me I said, of course I can, Brandy. Um, he said, there's only one thing. He said, no one can know about it. He said, we, I, I can't be seen to be doing it. He said, um, uh, the club won't know that I'm doing it. Uh, the, uh, I'm a well-known face in the Penrith area. Um, can we do it somehow where no one knows? Mm. And I said, of course we can. We can, we can come here at 4.30 4 in, the, in the morning um, we know, you know our doors open at six. We can get here that early. We can do what we need. You can be here and gone before the doors open. No one will know. Uh, let's see. Give it a go. Well, we did this for probably six weeks. He'd regained about nine kilos. He was feeling better about himself. Um, decided to go out and play, and straight away he hit the he 
he hit the ground running and uh, back to his best football and out of the blue one day, um, head coach Phil Gill turned up here at the gym. Right, paid his casual fee at the front door, sat on a bike. I was over doing some maintenance work on some of the equipment at the time as I walked back to the counter. He, uh, he called across me and says, hey, are you Kevin? And I said, yes, yes sir, I am. And he said, so it's your handiwork. And I said, what do you mean, sir? I don't know, Phil <laughs> And he said, don't worry, Kev, we know. He said, I've come here on behalf of the, uh, the Panthers Rugby League Club. We owe you a debt of gratitude that we can never repay. You've done for us what we could never have done. We were at wit's end as to what to do. He's our captain, he's our leading player. Um, given everything, um, you know, we're in a real bind. And he said, he's turned around. He said, can I send you more players? So then I had everybody from from um, from Panthers and soon after that, um, Phil Gould at the end of that season transferred and he went across the east and he took me with him. And I worked over there with Ronnie Palmer for a couple of years. But uh, that's getting away from a little bit from the point. Um, uh, my heart has always been and always will be in the game of cricket. And that's where I've um, concentrated these last 30 years. Yeah, that's awesome, Kev. Hmm. I reckon to touch a little bit further, like Greg Alexander's story, Steve Small's story, probably even Tubby when we get into it, you've so obviously changed their fitness incredibly and you touched on it, their mental side of the things. What did you see sort of throughout the process of them in the gym that made a big difference where you obviously seen them day in, day out, were there little things you were seeing going, okay, he's now doing this better, this better, that better, and you could see that was going to help their game mentally, what sort of, between yeah. the years? Yeah, Cam, look, over time, you learn, you learn to read uh, every individual. Um, you know, when I see somebody, when somebody comes to me, they've got this idea that I go to Kev, you know, he's good, he's got a good reputation, you get strong, you get fit, you get flexible, you know, you, you'll be better off against injury. So they're coming to me thinking that the main reason is uh, I'm going to help them get stronger and fitter. Yeah. And of course, yes, that happens. Yeah. But the message I receive and the way I'm thinking when they come to me for fitness, the only reason why they're coming to me for fitness, to improve their fitness, is because the, the, the real bottom line is all they want to do is get more runs or take more wickets. Yeah. That's the whole reason for it, yeah. right? If, you know, and they're connecting the fitness aspect to yeah. uh, you know, getting more runs and more wickets. So to me, when I look at somebody, I, I, I dismiss almost the fitness side of things. It's, it's just water for ducks back to me. I'm thinking of what can I do with this person or this person or this person, right, to get, get out of the way what is holding them back. What is it that, that where they're not releasing their full potential? How can we bring out all these bowling skills, batting skills, feeling skills, catching skills, right? Leadership skills, right? That's what, and I've learned over all the years because obviously I've done it myself. I've been weight training uh, nonstop now uh, for about 45 years, mm. right? And I know the effect it has, right? So if you put yourself under this kind of training, over and over and over and find a way to get back back up and get and face it and just make it harder and harder and harder. You don't need a wide range of exercise. The only variety you need is to go harder, train harder, less rest, right? Put yourself under more and more pressure. You've got to look for the struggle. 
Look for the struggle, right? There's not an easy way out. These day and age, with everything that's before us, humans as we are always look for the easy way out. The easy way out is not going to help you reach your potential. The hard way. Now, one of the best ways, right, to improve somebody's self-esteem, the way they see themselves, is through strength and fitness training. It's fitness training. It's, it's always hard. It's never easy. Right? Whether you're running, whether you're swimming, cycling, or you're undertaking some sort of weight training, um, those that all, exercise is always harder. Right? And it's a good way to change not only your body and your health, but also the way you think and the way you see yourselves. Um, many, many years ago, probably 14 years ago, um, a fellow I was working with at the time, his name's Nigel Wright. Uh, we're great, great friends. Nigel's an English fella. Uh, background is rugby league, uh, an almighty athlete. Uh, he came to me one year and he said, Kev, um, you and I are going to uh, raise some money for Make-A-Wish um, and you and I are going to sit on a, a Concept 2 rower uh, for 24 hours. Right? Uh, the day that he came to me, uh, I was going, are you kidding? 24 hours on, on, on you know, we, were, we knew how hard rowing was mm. as compared to other forms of uh, exercise, regular exercise. And he said, I said, in 24 hours, he said, we've got to do it, mate. I've made my mind up, we've got to do it. I said, Nigel, do you realise that you're 34 and I'm 54? <laughs> <laughs> I, he said, yeah, but we can do it. <laughs> I've gone, oh, okay, right, okay. He said, we've got to start training. We've got to raise some money for these, these kids. I said, all right, good enough for me. We'll give it a go. So we started our training. And would you believe for a 24-hour row, the longest preparation we ever did, I think, was about an hour and a half. <laughs> wow. Right? On the day, we started at midday and, um, and didn't stop for 24 hours later. And here's an interesting little thing. At the beginning, we had all the entertainment. We had our television set up. Mm. We had our muesli bars set up. Mm. We had our uh, electrolyte lit drinks set up. We had a crowd around us. We're all zipped up, ready to go. Two or three hours into it, <laughs> turn the TV off. I can't listen to any music mm. or radio. Okay, I can't stand the taste of a muesli bar mm. or. Uh, you know, an electrolyte drink like Powerade or something like that. The only thing that we could possibly do a stand was sip water. Mm. That's the only thing we looked that we wanted to do. It's the only thing that's getting us through. Mm. And we just 10 minutes, 20 minutes at a time for the first 10 hours, and then uh, 10 minutes at a time for the next 24 hours. And at that point, a few years ago, we're the only two people uh, on Concept 2's records, two people that attempted a 24 hour non stop run. Wow. Now, at the end of that, we both slept a long while um, and took a while, a few days to get over it. But I knew, I knew from that point on that I wasn't me anymore. Mm. I knew that I'd survived something that was so hard and so challenging, right, that, that I knew that I was, I was me, but I wasn't. I knew and I, I had this calmness that I'd never experienced before. I had this inner confidence and belief in myself that I'd never experienced before, even though both Nigel and I had had plenty of sporting background and we've had plenty of training background. That was the, 
to top everything off. Mm. I knew I changed, mm. and I changed for the better. You know, my ability to to absorb pressure or absorb absorb difficult situations was, you know, I was always happy. I couldn't I couldn't in my own mind in any way. Uh, even I tried to make myself angry. I just couldn't make myself angry. I was always happy and content, you know, always looking at the positive side of things, and that reflected in everything that I did. My work, my relationships, uh, you know, fatherhood, everything. I thought, oh, you know, I'm glad that I did this. Is at the time, I thought I was never going to get through it. Um, but coming out the other side, that's that, that was the great the great benefit for me. And I know this over and over and over. When any cricketer ever comes to me and spends an off-season with me, right, and they turn up three, four times a week and just face it, just get through the day, they slowly and surely change. They see themselves different. They go out and play cricket. Their timing's better. Their footwork's better, right? Their balance is better when they're running up. They take catches and they do. They, they pull off fielding, uh, you know, feats that they've never, ever done before. Right, and they know inside something has changed. Their ability to, to play the game and lead the game, right, is changed because they see themselves differently. Right? Is that the where you got the idea of the off season challenge, Kev? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. At the end of every four months we've got to do something that really puts you out on a limb. Mm. Right? Uh, that is your sort of final task, your final challenge before you let me go, I let you go, and you go out there and face 15 or 20 or 25 games of cricket at the highest level, and during that time, right, you're going to have days that everything goes your way, and you're going to have days that nothing goes your, your way, you might have weeks that nothing goes your way, but you never lose resolve, you never lose the belief in yourself that things will turn around, that you know how to stick to the process, right, instead of focusing all about how many wickets you got or haven't got, or how many runs you have or haven't got. Right? If you stick to that process, now, to be able to stick to that process, you've got to believe in yourself. And the only way you can believe yourself is to, do, to have done the work. Yeah. Right? You, can't, you, you can get some of it out of a book, you can get some of it from advice and inspiration from, out, from other people, they're all very good, but they don't affect you anywhere near like if having done it yourself. Now you two lads are a perfect example. You've come along and you faced a couple of years with me. You are far, far more complete and better cricketers now than you've ever been, right? And you know that deep down inside because of the hard work and you know how the, the strength and fitness training you've done here has been an important, very, very important role in that. Not that, that, that your skills training is not. As far as I'm concerned, it's not you bring in one at the expense of the other, right? You bring in one and you keep the other. And if anything, I tell you to bat more, bowl more, feel more, catch more. I don't do, tell you to do that any less, right? I almost think that there's not enough sunlight hours in any day to get through all the work that you need to do to become the good, the cricketer that you can be. All right, and that's the best advice. Get up early, beat everybody. Beat everybody to the gym, or beat everybody on, on, the, on the road or on the track, right? Train hard all the time, run into the wind. Whether it's cold and wet and raining and windy, go anyhow. Mm. Right, you can be scared, but jump in any anyhow. Right, that's the that's the message I try and give you all. So I know when you go out and play a season of first grade cricket and above, right, that you are going to be prepared. There's nothing worse, nothing worse for a cricketer than to walk through the gates, right, 
whether you're on walking through with a bat in your hand or you're walking through as a side to, to, to feel first you walk through that gate and you know in the back of your mind you haven't done the work mm. you've got to do the work right and then the game will unfold and you will reach your potential yeah there'd be a few guys listening kev uh that would be hearing this you know end of season challenge that would have probably no idea what that entails can you rattle off a few that you've put us to in the last few years just so the listeners have a bit of an idea around what these challenges are? Yes, yeah. Usually it's a week or two before. Mm. Um, you need a week or two to recover mm. physically. <laughs> Mentally. Um, look, I, I, one I remember is um, usually on a Friday, everybody knows that the challenge is coming up, but I hold it. I think about it for weeks. Uh, I hold it back and hold it back until 24 hours before, <laughs> right? When you get the message, when you get hear the message come through on your phone, you know then the clock is then ticking, 24 hours. One of them I remembered uh, was uh, one Friday, Friday night. Um, I decided that what I was gonna do was start the challenge at midnight Saturday. <laughs> right, so the players, the players are involved, with quite a few players involved, right? They were messaging one another. Have you heard from Kev yet? No, it's 6, it's 6 p.m. Aren't we supposed to be doing this tomorrow or something? No. 8 p.m., have you heard from Kev yet? No. 10 p.m., still haven't heard from Kev and they're getting nervous. Midnight, off, I, at midnight, off I sent all the messages. Simultaneously, all the players at the same time got the message that they were at, at midnight Saturday night, they were rowing until dawn, non-stop <laughs> till dawn. Right? That's right. So they're, they're poor guys. But I think that was a year before I started coming here, Kevin. I remember <laughs> that story stuck around for a long time and I was, I've never been so nervous going into the next year. It was my first year under you, Kevin. I was like, holy dooly, what are we going to do this year? Mm. And I think that's, it sort of shaped the way you train too, Kev. Something that I picked up off you when I first started coming here and you sort of touched on it there is like anything we do in the gym here is always going to be harder than when it is when you step on a cricket field. And when the going gets tough out in the field, you know that you've done the work. You know, you know for us, we've just run a marathon or we did our 100K row. We know it's never going to be harder than that when we're out in the crease batting, bowling or fielding. And we can look back on that and know that we can get through that in a game. Mm. Absolutely. Look, I've had that feedback a number of times over the years. Um, way back in the early piece, when Steve Small went out and he was opening the batting and partnering with Mark Taylor, right, there were a couple of times when they were in tough situations and they had these, these mid-wicket conferences between overs. Right, no matter how hard it is, and I think one game that they referred to told me about was they were playing against the touring team of the West Indies at the time, and the West Indies at their peak were all their, their great fast bowlers. And, uh, you know, Steve Small and, uh, and Mark Taylor in the middle, and they just said, as hard as this is, this is not as hard as facing an off-season with Kev. If we can get through that, we can get through this. Right? Another time, you know, years later when Mark Taylor um, was almost at the end of his career, um, Mark Taylor was an interesting... Uh, example because Mark liked the idea of coming to me to fitness but he never quite uh, you know put in he never quite committed the same way as the, you know the all-rounders did or the, especially the fast bowlers did like Mark saw his role opening batsman what do I do I run in between the wickets I got to be fit for that I feel at first or second slip 
I hardly ever run to the boundary. I need to be some some level of fitness, but it just needs to be you know equal to my role in, you know in the cricket team. All those years, I challenged Tubby on on that idea. I said, Tubby, you need to train as often and as hard and commit exactly the same way as Glenn McGrath or you know or the the other bowlers, you know Nathan Bracken and uh, Brad McNamara and all the the other guys who have got a lot of bowling responsibility. I said, you need to do as much about this as everybody else. He said, well, Kev, I'll just explain to you, but I opened the batting and fielding first slip. Why do I need it? I said, well, I'll tell you one, one short answer. I said, because you've got the hardest job in cricket. You're the opening batsman. And if anybody needs, right, to have the grit, the determination, the confidence and the inner belief that you can, you can succeed, right, and that's what you get through this sort of training, Besides the fitness, I said, you've got the hardest role in, in, in cricket. I said, you really need to be, you know, at, at that level. And this is what provides it. This training provides it. It's not just the fitness and weight loss. It's this other aspect. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, and, and he still wouldn't grab onto the, the concept. And in 1998, he lost his position as the captain of the one-day team. Uh, the ACB said, right, because Mark, Mark had gone probably 18 months or two years and hardly scored a run in any form of cricket. Um, his confidence was way down, but no question about his skills as a captain, led the team to many, many victories, given the fact that he wasn't scoring runs and, you know, that opening partnership was getting broken for low scores all the time. You know, he was still a terrific fieldsman. He just couldn't score a run. So he's lost, lost his position. Well, then he came and he said, Kev, this off-season, I want to do it properly. And I said, Tubbs, isn't that what we've trying, been trying to do all along? I said, right, let's do it. You know, every day we're going to do this between now and uh, and next summer. He said, "I'm in, I'm in, I'm in." Right? And to his absolute great credit, he was he just turned up at every single hour. Right? I remember one time he said, "At the middle of the middle of winter, I've got an ICC meeting and I've got to go to Lords." He said, "Every all the cricket captains around the world have got to descend on Lords for this meeting." He said, "Kevin, I'll be away for ten days." He said, "That's the only time. Otherwise, I'm with you every day." between now and the start of next cricket season. I said, fine, I'll, I'll accept that. He said, don't worry, when I'm away, I won't drink. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be good. I'll try and get to the gym at the hotel or wherever. I'll try and keep it up for that 10 days. I, I want to keep it going. I said, fine. The day before he left, the night before he left, we done the train. He said, Kev, well, I won't be here tomorrow. He said, I said, well, why not? He said, I've got to go to London tomorrow. I said, oh, okay, you've got to go to London. I said, oh, gee, that come around quick. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I won't be here for 10 days. I said, oh, good, 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 tub. I said, what time is your flight? <laughs> right? In the morning. He says, oh, 10 a.m. Oh, I said, okay. What time you got to be at the airport? He says, oh, oh, oh 8 o'clock. Yeah, I'll get picked up by the, uh, you know, I'll get uh, chauffeured out there at probably 7. I said, 7. I said, are you packed? He said, no, I'll, I'll pack tonight. I said, all right. Um, I said, righto. Listen, tubs. Um, in continuation of what we're agreement is, I'll be down at um, uh, Homebush Athletic Centre where the gym is down there, where the Olympic Park is. I said, I'll see you there at 4.30 <laughs> tomorrow morning. He said, what? I said, Tub, you and I shook hands on it. We agreed. We've got a job to do, right? You're on a plane tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. I said, that place opens at 4.30. We've got one more session before you go. He said, only I can turn up. I said, Tubbs, I'm not backing off. I said, at 4.30, in the dark, when those doors open, I'll be at the front door. I will be there. No, no further discussion. 
and he walked away swearing at me and cursing me and whatever. 4.30 the next morning, he was there. He was there. He went away to, he went away to London for um, that week and a half, come back, we continued the training. Four and a half, five months in, he lost 18 kilos. Right? Wow. His body weight went down 18 kilos. Now, his body weight has gone up, muscle weight, he's probably put on five or six kilos and his net loss was 18 kilos. So he was a, a trim, athletic looking Mark Taylor. First, first test he went back to play uh, Pakistan in Peshawar. Mark Taylor was 34 years of age and uh, batted for 12 hours, um, uh, scored 334 not out. Yeah. Equaling Don Bradman's the greatest, the highest score ever, ever by an Australian batsman in the history of Test cricket. Back, this is 1998. Um, it was Don Bradman who uh, uh, who, were, who got his 334, I think it was in Headingley, uh, in a Test match, and I think Don Bradman was 24 at the time. Mark Mark Taylor was 34 years of age, 100 tests behind him, and certainly not at Henningling Leeds, he was in Peshawar, Pakistan, mm. a dust bowl which was probably high 30s, early 40s for 12 hours batting, 334 not out. Again, another example that, you know, you can never replace this kind of hard work. Mm. It changes, it changes you as a person, changes you as a batter, it changes you as a bowler, it changes you as a cricketer. Right? And um, as we all know, um, everybody around Australia uh, was waiting overnight for, um, for Mark's decision. He was captain at the yeah. time. Will he bat on? Will he get one more run and surpass our Don Bradman? Will he do that? And um, as it turned out, the next morning he said, um, declaring the innings closed, mm. um, my score is sitting on 334 out. We've got to get these fellas out. Um, made a decision in the best interest of the of the, uh, of the of the team for the game. Six weeks later, uh, Mark Taylor was uh, announced Australian of the Year, <laughs> and rightly so. So, Kev, um, obviously we see in that story like Tubby gets like his sort of jubilation and rewards for all of his you know hard work during the off season, but. How does that sort of make you feel like when he sort of scores those runs and he's announced Australian of the Year and all those things? I know you're sort of not one to stick your head out and throw your hand in the air and say like, oh, that was me, like I helped him. You know, you speak about how, how much care you have for your athletes and you just want to see them do well. But how does it make you feel in those moments when you know you, you did have a, a huge role in, in his success? Obviously very proud, obviously. Look, like I said, first and foremost, I'm a cricketer. I like to see you boys do well. Um, that's that's always the way it's been, you know. Anything that comes my way, um, it's just blind by. I, I don't I don't care about it. It doesn't really occupy my thoughts at all. Um, I sold the uh, I know I've sold the riddle of fast injuries to fast bowlers. That was the main thing. I know that what I do has a is a far-reaching effect on making you all better cricketers, improving your confidence. You go out and you become the cricketer you can be. It's as simple as that. Um, the handshake between you and I is, is all really um, is all over really after. Mm. Uh, just because I love the game of cricket, right? it might happen to be this fitness strength training aspect might be the domain where I, I work, but really it's not a job to me. It's it's you know come to me. Let's see what we can do. Let's see how many runs we can get. Let's see how many wickets we can get. Gives me an immense uh, amount of satisfaction watching the cricket. I mean, you know, you boys know that um, 
you know, particularly over the last six, eight, ten years uh, since uh, Steve Small got the coaching job at Penrith. Um, a number of years ago, he wanted me on board, wanted me part of, uh, you know, what he was doing as a as head coach. Uh, you know how many Saturdays I'd be sitting in my car on the sideline, watching you all, fingers crossed, toes crossed, make, hoping that, you know, you're all going to play well, do well, the team was going to win, you know. Um, you've won a couple of premierships, that gives me immense joy and, and, and satisfaction to see you guys succeeding and getting rewards for all that hard work. Um, same with uh, Glenn McGrath. Um, Glenn came to me in 1995. I was working uh, for New South Wales Cricket. I was the, uh, their first ever uh, strength and fitness guy. Prior to that, it was usually handled by the physiotherapist. Uh, the physiotherapist sort of had a dual role where he was looking after the sort of medical injury side of things, but also set out exercise and fitness programs for the players. But, um, you know, with what I was doing at the time, um, Jeff Lawson was the head coach, Johnny Dyson was his uh, assistant. They asked me to come in um, and I started running New South Wales cricket fitness training uh, at that point. In 1995, um, Glenn McGrath came to me. Uh, at the end of the one of the, the training sessions. And it was the same year that Glenn had actually debuted. He got, a, he got a, a, a test match or two in the West Indies because Craig McDermott had been sent home with an injury. Um, Glenn really wasn't expected to play any test match over there, was sort of thrown into the role, had a couple of test matches, went all right. Um, came back home and during the fitness training session, he came up to me and he said, Kev, he said, my name's Glenn. He said, can I ask you a question? He said, do you think you can help me? Um, he said, I, uh, uh, he said I, I've had a, a few games of Shield cricket and I've had a couple of test matches now. He said, I, I think I could go all right at this. He said, I, I think, you know, I could, I could make a contribution. Um, he said, the only thing is, he said, I don't think I'm going to last long. Um, he said, I'm always carrying an injury. Is there anything you can do for me? And I, I just, I said to Glenn, I said, listen, I said, um, so what are you prepared to do? He said, well, I'll do whatever, you, whatever it takes. I'll do whatever you tell me. I said, right answer. Right answer, Glenn. Whatever it takes. Right, I'll see you down at Penrith at 6 a.m. coming Tuesday morning. I said, don't be late. If you're late, you won't get in. Right? Don't be late. He was there at 5.45. Right? And he never missed a session for 12 years. Right? Nearly the greatest bowler of all time. Nearly. That's a bit harsh. Shane Warne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fast bowler. Fast bowler. Fast bowler of all time. Absolutely. Right? And there was one point in time that I had the two number one fast bowlers in the world. I had Glenn McGrath and um, Nathan Bracken. Um, I thought you were going to say Bomber. Bomber. Yeah. Well, <laughs> bomber should have been. Should have been. Yeah. Well, has there ever been a better cricketer? Right. A bigger heart than Ryan Smith. Best ever. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. best ever. Yeah, we'll have to tell him to listen to this episode. He'll love that. <laughs> oh, well, he is. No question about it. Um, what was Glenn McGrath like in the gym, Kev? Yep. Yep. Like you boys. Never give in. Right. Did everything that was asked from him. He never looked sideways, never pulled faces, never felt sorry for himself, just did what was required. Right. And um, uh, like I said, he used to travel uh, to Penrith uh, every morning um, from, uh, from Cronulla, which is a fair drive. 
Uh, many, many times he did stay with overnight with us or a couple of nights with us to save him the trip, but it also served to uh, to teach uh, my wife V, uh, uh, helped a great deal uh, with sort of proper nutrition and nourishment for for him. So we, you know, he gained the weight and gained the strength. And so he was eating as well as doing all the proper exercise training, combining the two factors. Um, yeah, so you know, he, he did that and. Um, uh, he was as good a trainer as ever I've had one. It wasn't just the fact that he was relying on this great height and this easy action and this ability to hit the dinner plate over and over and over. Glenn put in way more hard work than anybody else. So he's wicked. So, I mean, he knew, he knew that, that you know, um, that the, the, the strength training or the training that we did together was a major factor and a major reason why he was so successful for so long. Um, uh, you know, fast bowling, you know, especially for the loads for a first-class player. You know, shield matches, one-dayers, test matches. You know, Tom and you're playing 12 to 15 test matches a year, 15 to 20 ODIs, all the training, all the travel. There's a lot. There's a, there's a big toll on your body. Yeah. Right. Well, um, and I only learned this a couple of years ago when Glenn, Glenn and I went to uh, Chennai in India uh, to spend a, uh, a few weeks over there with uh, the MRF Pace Academy. I, something new that I never knew, I, uh, I never took much notice, but uh, Glenn in addressing the players at, uh, at MRF said to them, um, I played 54 consecutive test matches without an injury. Right now, 54 test matches without an injury. And he said, um, and the injury I got was uh, in a warm up when I tripped on a ball in, in otherwise it would have been 55 or more. That was in the ashes, wasn't right? it? Yep, yeah. it was in the ashes. He said, the reason why I could play 54 consecutive tests, right, was because of this fella here, you know, and the work we did and how he, uh, you know, helped along the way there. So, um, you know, as it turns out, Glenn's one of the greatest fast bowlers of all time. Let's move into, you touched on it a bit there, Kev, like what kind of role has, I suppose, V um, had for you and then what has she sort of done to help you, I suppose, have that extra string to your bow with like the nutrition and just helping out with things in the gym and things like that. What's what's her support been like for you over the years? Unbelievable. In a word, absolutely unbelievable. V gives 100% to whatever I'm doing. All right? So if we need to... Uh, invite a cricketer to stay with us for a few nights and do it on a regular basis, uh, have them around, show them how, how to eat properly. Um, as you boys have you know, been to my place a couple of times, the spread she's put on. It's, it's beautiful nutritious food, but it also is a way of teaching you all that you know, good food can taste good and it can make an enormous difference to how your body recovers and how uh, you know how it responds to a, a very vigorous, uh, you know, a athletic lifestyle. Right, what you put in your body is vitally important. Right, it's probably as important. Um, way back when I first started weight training, um, I myself needed to put on a lot of weight, and I was all for doing all the exercise, but I knew nothing about nutrition. Um, I would just eat whatever you know had been served up on a plate at home for all the years that I was home with my folks. Um, and that's basically the way it continued. And I was, I was in this gym uh, once, I was down at Cronulla and I was training with, with one of my best ever mates, Greg Fitzgerald. Um, 
he he was also a cricketer. He opened the batting for Balmain. Um, Greg and I were, were training together, and over one side of the uh, the gym, I saw this guy that was probably from that start that time looked like he was in his mid late forties, and he had this fantastic physique, and he was really strong. And I go, gee whiz, you know, like for somebody that old, well, wow, you know, you're really, you know, you really got a, you know a, a great physical presence about you. And um, I heard one of the other fellows that were in the gym at the time go up and, you know, ask him a couple of questions. So I thought, oh, I'll just duck over here and see if I can eavesdrop a little bit and, and, and see if I can learn anything. And um, this, this, uh, this, this kid asked him, he said, well, sir, he said, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I have a question or two if, if you don't mind answering. He said, um, uh, how, did you, how did you get to be like that? <laughs> you know, he's looking up this guy, and, and, and it was an inspiration, this fellow. Um, you know, because he had great, great strength and physique, and he watched him train, he was concentrated. Anyway, uh, he says, All right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. He said, Look, um, I've been doing this uh, non stop for 25 years. He says, I work out six days a week for 25 years, and I've never missed a session. And I've gone, Oh, that's a big, that's a big clue. <laughs> <laughs> then he said, then he said, and, and the next thing is, right, you got to train really, really hard. None of this four sets of ten business, right? <laughs> There's another big clue, right? And then he said, you've got to be careful with what exercises you pick, right? What you do is you do clean and presses, you do squats, and you do deadlifts. Nothing else matters, right? And then you throw in your thrusters, right? You're up and down, up and down. And I'm going, here's another big clue. And then he said, and the guy said, wow, sir, wow. That's what you do, 25 years, six days a week. Don't miss a workout, right? And, and, and you know, stick to the squats, stick to the deadlifts, stick to the clean and presses, stick to the thrusters, stick to those. Nothing else, nothing else. And then he turned around and said, yes, there is. There is something else. He said, what I've just told you is just 50% of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and he said, 50%? What's the other 50%? He said, what, you shovel down your throat. Yeah. And I've gone, that's all I need to know. Yeah. And off I went. I wanted to read every book and study and I attended classes and, and courses, everything that I, that I could possibly find out on what is good for the human body. Mm. What is good for the human body? And then I went about it. Well, haven't been sick in... Hardly been sick in 40, 45 years. No, I'm excited for this question. <laughs> so do you want to share us a little bit about your diet, Kevin, what you sort of decided to do once you started to get the right information and, and sort yeah. of how that sort of, yep. I suppose, added to your longevity, like not being sick, not being injured, not having an operation. Yep. What do you put it down to? Yep. Look, uh, there's, there's no no doubt at all that what, what, what I eat and what I've chosen to eat over all these many decades now has played an important role in my overall health. Um, so, what do you eat? What don't you eat? Well, first and foremost, you got to. At that stage, I was very early in the piece. I was very keen about putting on weight. Mm. So, everything I read and heard was all about having lots and lots of protein, lots and lots of animal protein in particular. Right, that'll help you gain weight, and it does, and it does make you stronger. Right, but there was always an argument about it. Mm. There was always two sides of the story. There was that side of the story that said, you know, you need to eat animal protein and you need to get this and you need to get that and you need to have protein shakes and supplementation, especially if you're an athlete and training hard, the body needs all this, right? 
And, um, and then there was this other argument I heard on the other side that you don't need any of that. It slows the body down. Right? It, it, it affects its digestion metabolism. It's low, it's, it lowers its, its immunity. Right? So you regularly uh, you know, have these little breakdowns where you get a cough or cold or a flu or a sniffle, a sore throat, that sort of thing as a result of it. And when your body quickly recovers from that, you go back and start this whole process over and over again. There was always this argument traveling between the pros on high protein in your diet because you're a, you know, an athlete and you're exercising and playing sport six or seven times a week um, uh, for, um, for the best way to go. And there was other side of it that, was, that says it's gonna make you sick and it wasn't gonna, it's not the best for your overall health, right? So I thought to myself, well, what is there no argument about? What kind of foods can you actually take in where there's no argument about? I thought the first thing is, let's have a look at water. Nobody argues about water. Everybody says you should drink water. Well, I said, that's a tick. Right? But not everybody agrees on whether you should have, have, a, have a beer or you know a, a, an electrolyte drink or an energy drink or something like that. So there's arguments. So I thought, well, rather while they're arguing about those, I'll stick with water, mm. right? Until I hear something clear about energy drinks, you know, all the effects of alcohol or whatever, or protein shakes. So I thought, that's okay. What else is there not an argument about, right? Never an argument about fruit or vegetables. I'm going, there's a beauty. I'll make sure that I eat a lot of fruit and vegetables. And if it don't fill me up, I'll just add another plate. <laughs> I won't try and offset it by having something protein, even though in the initial stages, I was looking for that extra filling feeling, right? And then what else is there not an argument? Maybe grains, some grains yes, some grains no. Which ones are? Which grains are out there that are generally got lots of vitamins and minerals, they have uh, you know, Ill, uh, no effect at all on your digestive system. They, they're in, you know, the, the, the human body will, will assimilate and digest them properly. And one of the main ones, rolled oats, right? You look into, you know, what's in, contained in rolled oats, you think, actually, this is kind of a superfood. So I thought, I'll go rolled oats, right? Certainly not cornflakes or cocoa pops or any of those other types of cereals, muesli. Muesli cereal, all with rolled oats and grains and nuts and dried fruits. Here we go. No arguing about any of those foods. I think to myself, look, I'm going to go this way and just consume only food where there's no argument. Mm. Right? Until such times as someone can convince me and that what they're arguing for right, is, is agreeable with everybody. And here it is 44 years later and everybody's still arguing about alcohol consumption right meat consumption high protein diets etc 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 right so basically all my eating habits are built around that and the interesting thing is this in the first couple of years i did consume protein shakes and meat because I thought I knew no, nothing else. I was at the beginning of my journey, so to speak, of learning about this, right? But as I learned more and more, I began to say, well, look, why don't I not have protein shakes this week and just have more green drinks, right? Which is basically pears and and um, uh, or apples and um, and baby spinach leaves instead of and see whether it happens. See if I lose strength. See if I lose weight. Guess what? Nothing happened. Right? What if out instead of having protein shakes, I have just uh, a fruit, you know, uh, made up of fruits and 
and um, and juice or fruit and water, right? And which I've done. What happened? Nothing. I still maintain the strength in every other aspect. Uh, so bit by bit, and then I thought, well, what if I drop out red meat? I dropped out red meat. Guess what happened? Nothing. Then I dropped out mostly white meat or uh, seafood. What else happened? Nothing. What? Nothing happened except I stayed healthy and kept on gaining the strength, gaining the fitness, and just went further and further and further without getting ill. You know, most people get the cold or flu maybe once a year, sometimes twice a year, depending on weather and whatnot and how their immune system is. Long distance athletes will always get the flu, always get a cold, always got a sniffle, because they're always running on empty, right? None of that happens to me at all, ever, mm. right? So if, if you like, the mainstay of what I eat and drink is water, fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, the mainstay. So you say you have a cricketers that obviously stay with you guys a fair bit. Do they sort of adapt the diet that V and you are providing or are you sort of adding things on that suits their diet? Or are you telling them no, to no, stick to basically no, no, what, what, no, no, what, what we What we show then, what we display and what you eat is what we eat every day, every night of the week. Every single day. What is that for those that don't obviously know? Well, uh, it's a big, it's a big long list, really. <laughs> it's isn't pretty it? colourful, isn't it? It is. It's very, very colourful. All right. So we'll either have potatoes or wild rice. Um, then we'll have carrots, zucchini, uh, cucumber, tomato, um, celery, uh, baby spinach leaves, alfalfa sprays, sprouts, avocado, uh, macadamia nuts, sultanas, seeds. Um, and that's you know, just yeah. the veg, and then all the fruit as well, and then maybe fruit later if you want to if you want a smoothie of some sort. Mm, that's brilliant, right? And plenty of water. Mm. What about um, your? I'll be interested to know your proudest moment, either whether in your career personally, yes. or or from um, you know through uh, someone you've mentored or something like that. Mm. Do you have a moment that sticks out? Oh yeah, there's, there's two. Okay, uh, easy to remember. Um, my own career um, in WA. Um, I once clean bowled the greatest batsman in the world, Barry Richards from South Africa. Mm. That is definitely. Uh, I had a really good year that year. I won the Wacker Ravages. Um, I was in the Shield squad. Um, we had the, the greatest batsman in the world. He wasn't allowed to play for South uh, South Africa. It was apartheid. You were playing county cricket. He came over here and he played state cricket in here. But he was the best batsman I ever bowled to. Um, I played him th three times. He was over there. And this one time, um, I bowled this off cutter. Uh, went through him. Uh, knocked back middle middle stump. And, you know, it was the greatest feeling being able to clean bowl the, the best, greatest batsman in the world. And here's, here was, here's the thing. Barry Richards, we're all celebrating. Everybody ran in. Congratulations to myself. Barry Richards was walking towards the pavilion. As he walked past the square leg umpire, he stopped and turned around and raised his bat and tipped his bat at me. Right? And, the, and everyone said, did you see that? And then the umpire from my end, he said, did you guys see that? 
Barry Richards tipped his bat to Kev, right, for a great delivery and being able to get him out. So I thought, I've, I've had it all now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great moment, you yeah, know. It was competition. Uh, he was in great form, you know. I'm, one other time he played us, he got, he got 175 in the first two sessions. Wow. I certainly didn't bowl him that day. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, so personally, um, that is one that I'll always remember. Um, I felt that, you know, I had... I had the ability to, you know, to play at that level and trouble even the best batsman in the world. So I had something going there. So I thought, you know, all my efforts, um, uh, you know, very satisfying, very rewarding. The other one's very easy, the career one. It's, this is the big one, totally unexpected. In 2008, um, not very long after Glenn McGrath retired, Glenn was with me for 12 years and we'd been through a hell of a lot together. Um, you know, he'd, um, you know, he took us to, uh, to England, to Lords, uh, for the first test match um, in that 2000 and, um, 2005 series uh, to witness him take his 500th wicket. Uh, prior to that, he'd uh, spent some time on the sideline because he'd developed uh, some spurs uh, on his foot and he had a couple of little operations on his foot and uh, it wasn't really uh, wasn't really getting him back and they were starting to you know cast doubts on whether a fast bowler at, you know in his mid-30s was gonna gonna come back and um, he, he, he and I agreed to work harder than we've ever worked before and we did that and you know in, in, in four weeks of training uh, he was, was sidelined all that winter. There was Australia, luck, fortunately, that winter didn't have any, any games. It was one of the odd winter series, uh, winter seasons that uh, there was no international cricket. So all the Australian players had a good six months off. Uh, and that time is when they decided to do those little shavings on his, um, uh, on his landing foot, his front foot. Um, we got back and uh, I promised him his best was yet to come. Uh, even though you know most of the sports writers and even former fast bowlers were saying at the age of 34 you just don't wait and come back uh, that as good as you were before but um, he came back with a uh, with an eight for 20 eight for 24 against Pakistan at um, uh, was it Pakistan I think it was Pakistan uh, on the wacker but anyway um, a few months after he retired um, he he asked to come and visit our place um, which he he did regularly. At that time, um, Jane Jane McGrath didn't uh, didn't come with Glenn. Um, she was uh, she was very ill. Uh, but there was something that they wanted to do, which obviously I had no idea about. Um, so Glenn came up and brought um, uh, James and Holly, his two kids, with him. And as always, made welcome. V bought presents for the kids, had them all wrapped up there, ready to go. V put on massive spread of you know, all the good food and everything ready to go and just have a great old catch-up and maybe talk a bit of cricket, but talk family mostly. And uh, when they came, we had it, we had it all ready. And, um, and Glenn said to uh, V, said, V, can you hold back just a bit, please, on the, uh, on the food and not to give the kids presents yet? Because he said, there's something I need to do. And v, v said, oh, okay, what is it? He said, well, can you get Kev to sit down here at the table? I've got, I've got to do something. And he goes, okay. Still non, not, no idea what was happening. He said, he'll be back in a minute. So he went out through the front door, up to his car, and he came back a minute or two later, uh, carrying in both hands 
a, a, a cabinet. Uh, it was covered, covered at the time, was covered in, in, um, in sort of a, a wrapping. He sat it on the table. He said, Kev, open this. Um, and I did. And as I opened it up, as I, as I opened it up, It's a special moment. Well, yeah. very special moment. As I open up, there it was in a glass case, his baggy green cap, yeah. and a little plaque there that said, um, you know, a few good words. That so that was there. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a proud moment. So, um, you know, I knew I'd help him. That's incredible, Kev. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I haven't heard the story uh, that much in depth before, but it gives you goosebumps every time you listen to it. So mm. I think that's one of those things that, for Glenn, it would have been something that words wouldn't have been able to describe the influence he had or you had on his career and that there's probably nothing he could do more than giving mm. give you his bag of green and that just probably for him was a way to say thank you and give yep. back to you that all that you'd given him yep. we know there's no higher honor as as cricketers than absolutely. to have one of those so oh, yeah absolutely. that's incredible Kev. yep no it was a it was a great moment <laughs> i had a question for you kev yep have you ever taken that bag of green out of the case and put it on your head? No. <laughs> That's no. the first thing I would have done. And I would have put my white on yeah. and I would have been, look at this. Yeah. And, and if Glenn ever hears <laughs> this podcast, the answer to that question clearly is no. <laughs> no. What are, you, what are you kicking me for? Yes. No, no. <laughs> no, no. That's to be, that, that bag of green is to be worn by one person yeah. and one person only. I didn't know how to accept it. Yeah. You know, I thought, you know, oh, I'm not deserving of this. You know, the baggy green cap, that's that's the highest honour in, in cricket, if not the highest honour in sport in this country. Yeah. I said, this yeah. this this is for you. This, you hold on to this, Glenn. This is for your son, James. Give it to your son, James. It's, you know, he's, he said, Kev, quieten down. <laughs> <laughs> quieten down, right? Yeah, he was crying. Yeah. I was crying. V was crying. Um, you know, he said... Jane and I have talked about this. We've thought about this. He said, I want to do this. Right? This is the moment and the time I want to do this. Mm. He said, here, I want you to have this. This is what, you, this is what you know, you and us and our friendship has meant. Yeah, that's very awesome. special. There you go. I suppose we'll bring it to a little bit of a close, but sure. is there something, Kev, that um, there's been plenty of incredible takeaways that a lot of people will, will have from this podcast, but is there maybe a small bit of advice that you could offer either young cricketers or, or just young people in general that could sort of set them on a path to maybe a better life, whether that's in, in their physical condition or just in their overall health? Yeah, without, without a doubt. Um, you know how strongly I believe in the, in the, in the fitness side of, of things. Fitness is more than just fitness for the body. It's fitness for your mind. Right? It's hard work. Right? We as humans get everything handed to us these days. Everything is easy. Everything is on our mobile phone. Right? Um, so we get used to taking the easy way all the time. But if you want to be a good sportsman, or even in fact you want to have a good career in anything that you choose, because the spillover is just not, although we talk about sports and we talk about cricket, the spillover is in everything that you do. Right? It is who you become as a person, as a man, as a friend, as a brother, as a, as, a, as a husband, as a father, you know, and even in my case as a grandfather, you lead by example and the best way to do it is through hard work. 
And you've got to, you've got to do something about yourself if you're going to pass yourself away. Right? You give yourself away to others. Influence others. Right? I always thought, look for the struggle. Look for the struggle. Don't shy away from the struggle. If it's harder, do it. Inside, inside us all, we know what we want to do and we also know what we ought to do. And every time we've got a choice to make, right? we know what we want to do, we know what we feel like doing, but we know deep down what we ought to do. Listen to that one. That's the one to listen to it and get into the habit of listening to that and your career and your life will be a great success. Wow. That's good. What about, Kev, if there's youngsters out there that might, might be anywhere from 12 to 18 years old that are listening to this going, gee, I want to start strength training. What's, what's probably the very first thing they can do at home or at the backyard to get into strength training? Yep, they already have been. They're already in strength training since you could crawl and walk. From the time that you went to school and you ran into running races and you went into swimming races or you climbed trees and swung from trees, right? You've always been doing resistance training, right? The word weights is misunderstood. The word weights means is a barbell or a dumbbell or a machine of some sort is just a way of demonstrating resistance to the body and the body will respond. So if you find a way to resist, so if you want to go running, I'd run up the hill, I'd run up the stairs, right? And that's already an introduction to, to, to strength training and weight training. You're already doing it, you've been doing it since you could roll yourself over and crawl, all right? Just adapt that way and make it hard. Don't make it easy, make it hard on yourself and then you can go from there. What happens, Kev? I've got a question for you. I just thought of then. Yep. If every piece of equipment in this gym was to be wiped out tomorrow and you got to keep one piece of equipment, what would you keep? Um, mm. <laughs> it's almost a dead heat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, it's got to be almost a tie between... Uh, a plate where I can do thrusters yeah. or a rowing machine. Oh, rowing yeah. machine. Right. I thought you were going to say sled. Oh, I didn't think of sled. I, I thought he would say plate. I thought he would say plate yeah. too. Yep. Yep. What's the quietest day of um, Kevin Chevelle's week when people come in here? Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> what happens Thursday on Thursday? Thursday of every week is 5,000 rowing day. You beat the 5,000, you beat everything in life. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 just a it's just a pain contest, right? A physical pain, but yeah, it's a mental pain because yeah. it feels like it's never going to end. And at the end of it, you are so glad you've done it, and so glad that you just fought it out to the end. That's awesome, Kev. Well, thanks for sitting down today, giving up some time to talk all things through your life, and hopefully, people out there listening can. Oh. There's heaps of takeaways, but start to implement some of the stuff into their lives too. Yeah, absolutely. From obviously Cam and I, Kev, we want to thank you for your mentorship over the years and thank you for the great things that you've taught us that hopefully these things will be passed on to many cricketers and, and people to come. Yeah, definitely a man who walks the walk. So yeah, thanks yeah, very absolutely. much. Well, remember one thing, boys, if we any of us pick up a bat or a ball, guess what? We're family. Awesome, Kev. We're family. Thanks again, mate. Really Welcome. appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today's episode on the Cam and George podcast. As always, we hope you leave today's episode feeling a little more inspired, motivated, and with a deeper understanding on holistic health and the importance it plays in your life. We love seeing the Cam and George community grow, 
and are very grateful for your support in doing so. As we implement our holistic strategies to enhance your balanced lifestyle, we would love to share the experience with you. That could be gym work, yoga, going for a run, an awesome new recipe, starting a new business, work progression, your meditation stations, going to church or a connect group, or just spending time with friends and family. We love seeing your stories and would love to share it amongst the community. Also, stay tuned for the upcoming Cam and George store, where merchandise, self-development resources and courses will be available, plus access to gurus in the holistic space. We look forward to sharing with you shortly. Finally, if you have anyone who you think story needs to be heard, be sure to personal message us so we can get that person on our podcast and share their story with our listeners. Until next time, folks, on the Cam and Jord podcast.